Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so thrilled to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and thankfully, we have some great people helping us along the way. We all need to hone the ability to regulate ourselves and teach and model for our children and students how to do the same. That means sharpening our social and emotional skills so that we can function and thrive in today's society, creating healthy relationships and health and well-being for ourselves as well. What are the core social and emotional concepts that we need to understand? How does our understanding of how we deal with anger and frustration, shame, discomfort, and anxiety play a role in how we relate to others and how we conduct ourselves with others. We all need to support each other in understanding this. We need to support ourselves in this now more than ever. For ourselves and for young people that we care for each day, this is so important. To delve into these important topics, I will be interviewing the fabulous Rosalind Wiseman for the second time on how to talk to kids about anything. From where we learn to where we work, Rosalind Wiseman fosters civil dialogue and inspires communities to build strength, courage, and purpose. She is the founder of Cultures of Dignity, an organization that shifts the way communities think about our physical and emotional well-being by working in close partnership with the experts of those communities, young people, educators, policymakers, and business and political leaders. A multiple New York Times bestselling author, including Queen Bees and Wannabes, that was made into the movie and musical Mean Girls, a frequent contributor to the New York Times, Washington Post, and other publications, an international speaker. She lives in Boulder, Colorado, with her husband and two sons. She and her team created these very handy and helpful tiny guides, a set of small books on everything from dignity to emotional granularity to anger and shame that provide tools and skills to manage ourselves and our relationships and help the young people we love to manage themselves and their relationships under exceptional circumstances. And of course, we are dealing with exceptional circumstances right now. So I thought it would be the perfect time to speak with Rosalind again. So welcome, Rosalind Wiseman, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you. Thanks, Robin, for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you. It's so important. <laughs> this is a very, very strange time, an important time, a pivotal time. But before we get into everything, for those people who haven't read your tiny guides or uh, they haven't seen you speak, would you just take a moment to tell us what drove you to create these tiny guides on these topics in the first place and how you would like people to use them to help them in this emotional and social skill growth? Sure. Well, 
When the pandemic and the stay-at-home orders first started um, at Cultures of Dignity, we were we like to take a step back and listen before we give out information. I mean, that's one of our most important principles in the organization is that we listen first. And um, we needed to listen to parents, we needed to listen to young people, we needed to listen to educators about what they needed. And things were shifting so quickly and none of us have ever gone through this experience that we just took a we just took a moment, a couple moments, you know, to, to breathe and to listen to the people that we work with. And so what we heard is that um, people needed very concise bits of information to help them manage themselves through difficult times. And they needed them separated that they were people were feeling all of these enormous feelings, complex feelings and needing to know how to and especially if you had young people at home that you needed a way to be able to talk to young people about the experiences you were feeling or the experiences they were feeling. Mm. And so the tiny guides were actually brought to us by um, someone at Cultures of Dignity um, named Megan Saxelby, who mm. had, had been a teacher and an administrator in middle schools for a long time. And she brought these raw materials to us and said, let's work on this um, and see if these can help people. And so in the first month of the pandemic, we worked tireless, we worked tirelessly to, mm. to be able to put these out for people. And so Tiny Guides are 18 separate component guides that walk you through the principles of dignity and also things like anger and frustration and having compassion for yourself and emotional hijacking and so it really just walks you through how to manage and understand the world around you, especially when things are really complex and pretty stressful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really love them. They're very accessible, easy to use. They're definitely something that kids can be looking at, that parents can be looking at, that teachers can be looking at, and that people can be looking at together. So I really appreciated that. I want to start off with that emotional granularity in your tiny guide, it you define it as the ability to have a wide range of precise, specific words to describe how you are feeling. And as you mentioned, people are having very big feelings. They're oh, feeling I- all kinds of things right now. I mean, yeah. you know, so what you're talking about, and I really liked this example, was describing an emotion as sad versus your emotion as upset, crestfallen, dejected, weepy, gloomy, despair, sorrowful. (laughs) So why is this so important that we are able to talk about our emotions more specifically? And, And how can it help us right now when emotions are running so high? Well, it's always important. And you know, we, I've always worked with young people, mostly between the ages of 10 and 18. And when you're, I think it's, I think it's always the case no matter how old you are. Um, but I think when you're young, you can have feelings that are so powerful. And because, unfortunately, adult culture tends to minimize, dismiss young people's emotions or experiences with like, oh, you're just young, you'll get over it. Or, um, you know, you're being moody, for example. And so our culture does not support affirming young people's experiences and feelings. And at the same time, making that even more difficult is that young people have very powerful, strong feelings, and it can be really hard to be able to articulate what those feelings are, even under the best of circumstances. So it's so important for young people to be able to take these feelings that sometimes they have in their body, in their stomach, 
um, and be able to process them and put words to them or to be able to draw them, for example, so that because once you start to do that, then they don't, the feelings don't control you as much. The negative, overwhelming mm. feelings, for example, don't control you as much. And they don't have the power as much to be able to affect your behavior, right? I mean, that's the thing that can be so scary is that young people can feel so overwhelmed that, I mean, you know, even before the pandemic and before the protests, we had unprecedented of, as you know better than I do, about anxiety and depression mm -hmm. and anxiety. And so it's so deeply, deeply important and life-affirming and life-saving to be able to have an experience and then be able to put words to it or images to it. So mm -hmm. that's the case all the time. And that's, and that's what em emotional granularity does for you is if you're able to piece it apart, then you, for example, there's a really big difference between words of like sadness versus despair. Like, mm -hmm. well, what does that mean? And being able to really speak about that. Um, and so that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's really important to give young people those tools. And then of course, now I think many people, uh, as, are really feeling so many feelings in all different kinds of ways, as you said a few minutes ago, that we all, I mean, we all need it, but I think it's just that, that much more obvious right now. Mm -hmm. Agreed with that. And, and so appreciated that you're able to partial out how kids are, are feeling and providing them with all of these words. So on that same line, how can we, the parents, the teachers, those who love these kids, how can we help them to clarify their emotions so that they are able to speak about them more clearly? What is our role in that? Yeah. Well, our role is, and I feel Robin, like, you know, I'm saying the things that you say. Oh, <laughs> I do um, like what you say very much, and I appreciate the way you explain it. We're on the same wavelength. That's yes, good. Yeah, we are. We have been for a long time. But, yes. um, you know, I think, you know, the thing that when young people have experiences, I think, you know, the most important thing um like, you know, for example, I think one of the things that we don't, that we should not say to young people, and if it wasn't obvious before, it sure should be now, that we should never say to young people, I know how you're feeling, I was your age once too. Mm -hmm. Because even that might be true, that you were their age once. It might be true. Yeah. It, you know, I mean, it is true, but first of all, you don't, nobody knows what other people's life experiences mm -hmm. are. I mean, you can relate to somebody, you can like say like, yes, I was, I have a similar experience, but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. And certainly even before the pandemic, we shouldn't be saying that to young people because the way that they've been, they've been raised in the culture they've been raised is vastly different from the way we were raised. And then now with the last four months, I don't think any adult ever could say to a young person with any credibility, yeah, I know what it was like to be your age. Like, mm -hmm. because we don't. And even before, like we, you know, you and I were raised knowing that like being able to have, being able to grow up with privacy. And mm -hmm. of course, young people today are not. And the people that are, are violating that privacy, the people that don't respect that privacy are their parents, are the people that are posting things from the time they're very, very little. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, and so think about how when you were, you know, if you're listening to, when you're listening to this, that if you had grown up and your parents were the people that were actively taking away your privacy from the time mm. you were little, what would that do to you? Mm. And it's it's a really important distinction. So I think instead we need to be saying something to young people like, you know, I was your age once, but I actually don't know what it's like to be you and I don't know what it's like to grow up today. 
and it's way more complex. And so I just want to give you like much respect for the fact that you're getting, you're, you're having to live in this world and go through this. And, you know, I, and I want to listen. So that's mm -hmm. the first thing I think we should say. The second thing I think we should say when our, our kids are going through a hard time is to say, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Thank you so much for trusting me to tell me. And together, let's think through how to deal with this problem. Um, if we go through, go into fix it mode or like who did what or getting, you know, trying to get them to give you all the answers about who said what and who did this and who did that, our kids are going to shut down. So I think that just the very beginning is those, those things, is to be aware of how we begin conversations with them. Agreed. And, and those conversations can be tough and it's hard to control ourselves from mm -hmm. jumping in and saying, just do it this way, especially when, oh, I mean, it can be very painful when our children are in pain and, and dealing with the frustration of, uh, of a relationship that's that's hurtful or um, feeling boxed in by this, you know, being in the house and not being able to get out. And that frustration is, is also something that you talk about in your tiny guides. And people get frustrated for obviously all different things. Every every day, <laughs> things things like when my kids leave stuff all over my countertops. I mean, that yeah. drives me, you know, crazy and, and gets me really frustrated. A tough time with a math assignment or a sibling who keeps talking in the middle of a movie. Not that that <laughs> has ever happened in our house. Um, but, um, and there's, of course, much bigger problems illness of course right now i mean well over now a hundred thousand people have died from covid and they're the you know many of them related to us in some way or another we're mm -hmm. dealing with incredible inequality that's come rushed into our faces now and we're thankfully pivotal point again we're dealing with a lot of death we're dealing with not that it's front and foremost right now global warming you know the people mm -hmm. are frustrated about so many different things mm -hmm. so you say that people cope with frustration either with avoidance or mm -hmm. adapting. So mm -hmm. can you talk more, because this is so related to what we were just talking about, about that emotional granularity, can you talk about how to best cope with frustration and how people who are listening might again use these concepts in their own lives? Yeah, sure. And I think, you know, you really hit something which I think is incredibly important, um, you know, that we watch our children go through things that are frustrating or being angry. And we, it's really, really difficult for us to know when to get involved or how to get involved. And so then we get frustrated, you know, we can get frustrated with ourselves. We can get frustrated. They can get frustrated with us. Rob and I might've had pretty much exactly the same experience this morning when I came downstairs. And cause you know, what's happening cause I have older kids is that my kids go to bed much later than I do. Mm. And so, you know, this morning when I come down after the 400th time of saying to them, I don't want to come down to a dirty kitchen oh after I have gosh. left it clean because yes. they go to bed later than I do. I mean, I really, I really had a moment this morning. So, I had a moment this morning too. <laughs> I know. That's I had why such I a moment. Oh my <laughs> so, gosh. Thank you. I'm feeling so validated. Yes. No, right. I mean, it's really, it's, it's really something. So, yes, and because we're spending so much time together. There's a lot um, of togetherness. Wow. You know, it's, it's, it's particularly challenging. So. Yes. A lot um, of mess, a lot of meals, a lot, a lot. 
a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, right? We always, you know, you and I and every parenting expert used to talk about the importance of family dinners, right? And how oh important that was. And now we're like, oh my God, way too much, way too much. Yes, I, <laughs> I, I my, my, one of my best friends and I were like, family time is overrated. You know, like, <laughs> like thank you, Dr. Robin. Like, I mean, yeah. seriously, it's just because it's so, there's so much togetherness that it's, it's illuminated a lot of the issues that need to be handled but there's almost no time to process it because they're always there. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so the way you talked, the way we talk about it with the tiny guys is exactly what you said, that, you know, frustration is a, is a feeling and feelings are your feelings, right? No, you know, I know that you, you know, you have, you're entitled to your feelings. It's what you do with them that really is the thing, right? Because it goes and it points to how you regulate your feelings. Now you regulate yourself when you feel these feelings that can be really, dysregulating for you. And so the two way, and this is true for everybody is you can either adapt to the frustration or you can avoid it. And I think the thing that's really, it's, you know, there are certain frustration points that we naturally avoid. And I think that's a really important thing to think about for ourselves as parents. Like what are the areas that when we get um, frustrated or even angry with our kids that we avoid talking to them about? And I would ask ourselves why. And, um, and also what are the ones that we're better able to handle? What are the ones that we can adapt to? Like we, you know, ideally you want to be able to like adapt to all of them. So, Mm. but the avoidance part, and this is the way I would say it for parents. And I, again, can relate to this myself is that avoidance strategies are usually, you know, you can define them because you know that because in the short term they make you feel better, but they actually don't solve the problem. Mm. So, so for example, the yes. avoidance thing, just to go back to the kitchen this morning, is like, fine, I'll do it, right? Yes. Whenever you have that uh, that tone in your voice of like, <laughs> right to yourself, it's like, fine. So I'll you were here, it. yes. Right? Okay. I mean, and I've done it because mm-hmm. you're just so frustrated because you just can't deal with like what's in front of you. But that enables your kid, right? Because yes. then they're getting away with being a bad roommate, for mm-hmm. example, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, really tough. And so, you know, there's all different ways that you can avoid, but that's like one of them is like being the enabling parent. <laughs> or blaming. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah. Oh, or, or, or I, I actually, like this morning when I had my moment, I actually said it out loud, like, why is this left for mommy? Like, I didn't know. <laughs> I did not say, I'll just do it. I was... <laughs> really upset and vocal about it. So I don't know if that's avoidance, but it wasn't exactly the right way to do it. Right. But I mean, it's certainly understandable because, you know, sometimes you just can't, I just can't, you know, you can't stand it. I can't stand it. It's like, fine, I'll just do this. Right. Because I can't stand this still being, you know, whatever X not getting done. Exactly. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a hard one. It's a really hard one. And the other, you know, and the other part is, you know, the, the sort of sometimes I think we get into this place where we're like, oh, if you're avoiding it, there's something like super wrong. You should be super wrong with you. You should feel sort of shame about it. Mm. And you shouldn't. It's just like the way things it's like, just give yourself a, especially right now, we have to give ourselves some grace about like how we're handling things and don't beat ourselves up and not be so judgy to yourself or to everybody else. Because, you know, we have like, honestly, we have no idea what the context is often when we're judging other people. And even when we understand our own context, it's hard to be able to know what to do. So I just want us to also give ourselves some grace. And the way we say it at Cultures of Dignity is we want to be hard on ideas and soft on people. Mm -hmm. But we live in a culture that is hard on people and soft on ideas. 
Does that mm. sit right? And so, and it's so unfair because we're so quick to jump on people and be so nasty and judge. Oh, you're so right. Yes. Right. And I think, and we really need to change that around, right? So it's it's being soft on people and hard on ideas or easy, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's a really important thing we need to think about because I've been hearing. I know we're getting off the topic of frustration. I just want to make sure I make this point. I've been really hearing. Um, parents starting to in the last couple of weeks really starting to judge each other about lots of different things and as soon as we do that we are losing the ability to be the village community that we need to be for each other so yes so right okay so the thing that we want to do instead right is we want to adapt when we're having a frustrating moment and so it's my it is also means that we've got to take a moment and step back Mm-hmm. And that can be so, you know, there's a couple different ways that we do that. Like we like, for example, this is a really good one for me for parenting. I'm very excited about this. Well, <laughs> I'm going to apply it to my countertops in a second. You do. But like my children are very, 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 uh, I even feel like I should bring one in so that he could, he'll <laughs> affirm this, that they're very sensitive to and knowledgeable about when I am angry at them. Mm-hmm. And like I can walk into a room and breathe in a particular way and they know, <laughs> they know how I yes. feel about something. Yes. And so because I can be so intense um, and yeah, I'm just going to say intense. <laughs> I really like that I, word. It's, I it's, think my it's older child beautiful. would say vile, but I, I'm going to stick with intense. Intense but, sounds um, great to me. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> It's really the adaption, like when you're really frustrated, and that's actually what happened this morning too, but we've been doing it a lot. My husband and I um, delegate who is going to talk to um, the kids when we get really frustrated about particular things. So Mm. each of us has particular areas that set us off. And so actually, and it means more to somebody, to the, the one, or they're particularly irritated, or they get particularly reactive about a particular issue with the kids. And so the person who is less reactive but is on the same page um, is the person who takes the lead in talking to the children. Smart. And that has been – that adaption has been one of the most positive, helpful – in all different kinds of ways, strategies that my husband and I have realized, especially – we've realized it before, but especially because of the stay-at-home stuff and it's happening so fast – that we really are like, you take this because I am too pissed. Like you're too triggered by what's going yeah. on and you know that it's just going to escalate. Yes. And yes. honestly, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know, I'm, you know, like if you're a particularly intense person like I am mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. listening to this, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, your your partner, your, you know, the person you're parenting with, um, if you have somebody you're parenting with in any capacity has to be on the same page as you. But then mm-hmm. again, like what does that look like? And so I would ask them and this is something that my husband and I will actually do is we will like be very clear about the person who's taking the lead. Like what are the three things that the person who's taking the lead has to communicate to these young men that we're living with. Mm -hmm. And no matter what those three things are going to be said and communicated, Mm -hmm. um, just because it's, it's easy to say we have to be on the same page, but then you don't say what that is. And then you make assumptions and then the the person who's taking the lead starts talking. You're like, wait, 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 wait. Right. Like, and they, they, they they (laughs) fail at the attempt, but not because they wanted to, or it's like they weren't prepared. Right. They didn't know what you really wanted them to say. That that's really important. I love that idea. What a great nugget of information to be oh, able. Well, it's, it's like because I'm so crazy. It's because I get so intense. Like so I mean, good. I really, Robert. It's like because my kids have said to me, like, 
we can't talk to you right now because you are just too much. You are yeah. too much. And so I like, so, you know, it's important for me to realize, okay, well actually I am too much. So I need, to, the messenger has to be different. I, I think that is absolutely terrific and, and really important. And, and it's like, it, it, what a great partnership, you know, that you have with your husband. And I feel like I have that same kind of thing with my own spouse that we're able to, you know, realize who should be doing what. But I like the way that you're doing that. And I'm going to talk to him about that. Thank you for that. Oh, you're so welcome. Yes. You're so welcome. You really should yes. thank my son for telling oh, my me. The word vile so is such a strong specific Oh, that is, that is really, it has a lot of <laughs> dripping venom uh, that's yeah. going so, on. You know. <laughs> yeah. Now, you said something and it made my brain just go in like five different directions. So... You know, I was listening to the author of Just Mercy talking to Oprah on her Super Soul Sunday, and, and he is talking about how when he's working with with people who have been incarcerated, especially like young people, that he is realizing that they've sort of been thrown away and that people haven't, people are vilifying them completely and that he believes that you're not the worst thing that you've ever done. And and I, it really resonated with me. I like took this in and, and have been looking out at this lens. And, and when I was reading your tiny guide about anger mm. and thinking about everything that was going on, and you talk about anger being an iceberg emotion and and we've talked about this iceberg in other contexts with this podcast but so there's been this large outcry of anger lately obviously people are angry about being cooped up in their homes of course they're they're angry about not being able to go to work and make money they've been furloughed they've been laid off people have been uh, angry about not being able to go to school see their friends uh, have their end of year ceremonies you know you've got somebody who's ending high school i've got somebody who's ending fifth grade they've like missed out a lot then so there the people are angry we're also seeing incredible emotions of course including anger about what happened with george floyd and other black men and women and children who have been vilified and treated abhorrently by the police in America. And just recently, and and this is this is where my brain went when you were talking, I saw multiple articles and posts as of this day that we're recording this, discussing intense anger over two young women who drew swastikas on their shoulders at Penn State. And there's a petition to throw them out. Now, I'm a Jewish woman, you know, so, yeah. okay, so we're coming from this direction. Mm-hmm. And, and, and people, are, they should be thrown out. Now, we're just talking about what you were just saying, right? That yeah. we can't, we, you know, we have to be careful about vilifying the person, especially young people who like, mm. I mean, I feel like, of course I do. I'm very offended about that. Of course, I mean, we have so much knowledge related to, swastikas and 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 it's intense do i do i feel anger about it i'm sure that's mixed into all of my feelings but i also feel similarly to what you were just saying that we need to be softer on people and and harder on this these Mm -hmm. ideas right Mm -hmm. so given all of this that's going on Mm -hmm. i mean just so intense of so many so much anger so what are we supposed to do with all this anger? It's natural to want to direct it towards a person, right? Yeah. And to 
people and get really angry at these people because we want to shout at them and 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 make them change and and hopefully by changing that one person we're changing everything well Mm -hmm. what is what is the actual thing that is productive and healthy in this situation yeah so you know this is you know this is having worked with young people for so long and not just you know i work with all different kinds of young people you know young people who uh, you know, are uh, thoughtful and mindful and engaged. Um, and I love working with young people. And that also means that I sometimes work with young people who are thoughtless and mm-hmm. are, right. you know, use um, entertaining other people or being cute to try to, and, and like by humiliating other people. Mm-hmm. And it's not an excuse. It's just a reality. It's, it's a mm-hmm. reality. It's an ex- that, um, that young people have been raised in a culture that um, that we all, to some extent, participate in. That somebody's embarrassment and humiliation is somebody else's entertainment, or say it the other way: someone's entertainment is someone else's entertain. You know, um, humiliation. You know, I think we also, and we don't. I don't think we like to call out. I think it's in. It's really difficult for us to have conversations um, in ways that are about the content because we get so polarized. Because our national, because our some of our leaders and our national leaders and our president is so good at dividing us and being yes. divisive and being so nasty, and make and like really getting you know sort of exploiting this base thing that happens with us about like you are not me if you don't agree with me. Mm. So it's it's um and we live with that leadership and we've been living with that leadership and so and young people have been living in this culture. So it doesn't excuse their behavior, but we do need to understand the context in which they are living in. And the other part is that I don't know I obviously don't know these two women But I do know that most white parents have been absolutely abysmally irresponsible at talking to their children about race, Mm -hmm. about racism. And they're, you know, they'll say, I'm uncomfortable. And they'll say, I'm not racist. I didn't raise my child to be racist. Mm -hmm. I I taught my child that, you know, everyone's equal and that we should love everybody and kindness and compassion. And that's like so not enough and it never has been. Mm -hmm. And we can also say about those white parents that they come from a legacy of um, not, you know, in our history classes, not having rigorous and open debate or discussion about an education in history. So, I mean, there's all this stuff here that you can say, let me try and understand the context in which people are making the decisions um, to have conversations or not with each other or be educated or not. But at a certain point, you get to a place where you, and this is what can be, and this is where it gets, I think, really hard, right? I'm sort of arguing both sides. Mm-hmm. But um, you get to a point where, with like, for example, with these two women, that these two women know that what they're doing is hurtful. And they know because they actually are in the culture that they know that what they're doing is is literally is what is marking or tagging and signaling to the outside world what they believe. Mm-hmm. And that is where and so when you get to that place because young people are very good at being at signaling what their identities are online. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's like that's that's the, how they've been raised. I mean, in this culture is that they're signaling things all the time on every Instagram post and every, you know, whatever post is there. They're saying in that moment, like, this is me or this is what I believe or this is what I'm interacting with. This is the culture that I'm interacting with. This is I'm responding to it in some way. So it's complicated. It's complex. 
Mm-hmm. But I still don't think for the most part, and I believe this because I, I'm an educator in my heart and in my training and every and in everything, is that the you do not for you do not toss people out of the community because in the community we all live in now, they actually won't leave. Meaning that they will be celebrated by bigots and by mm-hmm. Um, people who really do espouse white supremacy and mm-hmm. like the cute girls who stood up for that kind of stuff, they will be celebrated by certain people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They will be celebrated by certain people to say like, oh, people are just making too much out of this and yeah. it's all politically correct, right? So the, if we aren't able to some extent be able to talk to, be in relationship with students like that and be mm-hmm. able to say, here is the narrative and here is how this came across and we we want to talk to you and be in relation yes. with you so right. that you so that we understand how you came to make the decision that you made what was your point what was your purpose right. um and and if that if they can't be as i were because you know if you're asking about being in a university and like how do you throw the students out if they cannot authentically um purposefully be able to have that conversation and say, I want to have that conversation. I want to be in relation with people in my collegiate community and I want to understand their point of view and I want a chance to explain mine, mm-hmm. but I want to listen to other people and I define listening as being prepared to be changed by what you hear. Mm. That if they can do that, then it is an opportunity for them to learn yes. and to be in the community and better for it. Yes. If we just if we just toss them out, then my experience with people, young people and all different kinds of people, is that when you are tossed out of a community, you will find another one and you will find another one that agrees with you and will not give you the opportunity to really challenge yourself about why did I do something that was so incredibly hurtful to other people? Why was I proud to do mm-hmm. that? I I agree with all of those things that you're saying. And my initial thought when I was reading about it was, first of all, what what have they learned in the past about any of this? And Mm -hmm. and, you know, what what not only what was their upbringing, but this what was their what was the available education to them about people who were um treated really poorly in in a variety of different circumstances and could they could they be open to learning about mm-hmm. what how hard that was to to see and hear and why like what's behind right. it uh, and knowing that if they were tossed out like many have have been i mean even in my own community there's been talk about kids who have been saying who have said racist things to people that were unbelievably hurtful and Mm -hmm. wanting to get them tossed out and and all of that Mm -hmm. that it it loses an opportunity but it also provides almost fuel to the fire because Mm -hmm. they wind up right they wind up getting angrier um and blaming more rather than having an opportunity to say listen, this was extremely hurtful and, and, you know, we don't want to go into punishment mode. What we would like to do is, is let's, let's have a discourse and talk about this and, and 
have them, you know, maybe learn and learn and grow from the experience yeah. and what a better place it would be. I mean, am I being too Pollyanna-ish about this? Like, that's my thought. I mean, that's what I was thinking about when no, I was hearing I, about it. I think that, and if, and if then after that, I mean, these young women, you know, again, don't know if they have a pattern of behavior where they are mm-hmm. demonstrating this and where mm-hmm. they're demonstrating callousness Agreed. and demonstrating um, a, a purposeful disregard for the yes. dignity of other people, um, then then that is the criteria upon which you say, well, you can't be a member of this community because you can't be in relation with other people in our community in a foundation that's based on dignity, like the worth of other people, the essential worth of other people. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes something that's much more based on the principle of the institution instead of like, you did something bad, you have to go. Agreed. Um, yes. And right, I mean, that's really what this is about because, you know, we, I mean, you know, there was, uh, it comes to mind and I can't remember his name, the young man who had, um, that was his position, excuse me, as slotted Harvard or something was taken yes. with Right. Well, I mean, some, like from what I read, his apology and the efforts he made afterwards seemed pretty authentic to me. Yeah, agree. And you know, having a, a young person with that amount go under that amount of scrutiny, mm-hmm. I think that that you know, for me, that is what I want to see from people when they have made a mistake. Yes. And so, again, it's a great you know, this is a great example, Robin, of being you know, hard on people, easy on ideas, and yes. vice versa. Um, and it's really, it's really sickening when you see young women do things like this. And even if it's, if it's thoughtless, which is disgusting, and if it's purposely hurtful and anti-Semitic and bigoted, that's disgusting. Mm-hmm. And so how do you operate in that? And so mm-hmm. that I think it is being connecting it to the principle of dignity and the institution operating from that place of, I'm going to treat you with worth even though you, especially because you have made a mistake, I don't respect the actions that you have made at all, but I will treat you with dignity as I go through the process of trying to repair possibly your relationship with and your participation in this community. If you can't do that, then this is not the place for you. So important is when we cast out, we just say that we're done with you. And honestly, in many cases, when we do that, I mean, the trajectory of that person's life goes in such a, a, a whacked out direction. I mean, we, mm-hmm. you know, you just change everything. And it's not, it, how is that positive for anybody? Mm-hmm. We want to give an opportunity to repair, which we would hope for our own children if they messed up that royally, and we hope that they wouldn't, but that we would hope, like the idea of of thinking about the dignity related to the fact that, yeah, it doesn't mean I agree with you and I find what you did abhorrent, but because you have dignity, let's yeah. discuss this. So, okay. so important. So so we're obviously we're in agreement on all of these. And <laughs> and this is these are complex, complex and, and painful time. Mm-hmm. So given all that we just spoke about with when it came to anger, how can we then as parents and educators best support people and the young people who are going through these times when emotions and anger and frustration are reaching these emotional thresholds. Yeah. Well, first of all, I would be a very affirming of young people's anger. Um, mm. I mean, I am. And, mm. um, 
and um, seeing the amount of young people who are taking their anger and channeling it into political um, demonstrations, protests, yes, organizing, yes. all of that, it's like, I mean, for me, it's like, you know, there's not beautiful. much disaster, right? It brings me to tears. To yes, see, beautiful. To see, to see this stuff, because it's, you know, what I've devoted my life's work to, right? Is to so beautiful. And seeing them and seeing the adult allies um, support them, um, you know, the amazing principals and the, you know, the, the district, you know, the educators and teachers and stuff like that. It just it's why I'm in education. I mean, um, isn't this like anger meets productive discomfort? Like, yes, what you, you know, right. Is. Like, it's, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And so um, and, you know, an anger, again, is an emotion. And. I think one of the things that's been really personally hard for me, especially a week ago, when again, our president was doing things that were so, so unbelievably painful, horrible. Um, I, I just like I, I just could not and I think many of us could not believe what we were seeing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and to see to see Ivanka Trump, by the way, do what she was doing holding I mean, I'm sorry, but like, I like I could not believe what they did at St. John's Church. Mm -hmm. And it was it made me so angry that I to manipulate that situation um, made me so angry. And I had so many feelings about it. And I didn't know what to do with it. And, um, and the anger is this incredibly powerful emotion and you feel it. And at the same time, what, and what we have tried to do with these tiny guides is to be able to say anger is an emotion and it can be incredibly productive and it also can be hurtful to yourself and to others. Mm -hmm. So being able to say like, I am angry and to be also, and I think this is really important is to understand we each personally based on all different kinds of reasons are are of various of our personal histories we each carry a legacy of how we believe um how we can communicate our anger or express our anger i mean that has to do with our socioeconomic class our gender our race our ethnicity our religion all of these things inform the way that we without even realizing it will express our anger our birth order, which my mother would would want me to say, <laughs> and um, and I, it's really important to be able to know, have some history, some knowledge, some self knowledge about what that legacy is for you, and then be able to say, so when does that get me off my rails, right? When does that make me not treat myself with dignity or not treat others with dignity? Mm. When does that like when does it when does my anger turn into self righteousness, for example? Mm. Or when does my anger turn into self-hatred, for example? Mm -mm. And being and, and saying oh. things, wind up saying things like, you know, I'm angry and therefore it's my turn to talk and it's not, it, and you don't get to talk, right? Exactly. You're like they shutting sure. down the other person. Sure, exactly. And so, so if we can understand our legacy of where we're coming from about how we were allowed, given permission to express our anger or not, I think that's an incredibly important thing to even just recognize. Does you don't even need to know like what exactly it was, but just to say to yourself, I have a legacy of like of what I was permitted and not permitted to do, who I was permitted to be angry with and who I was per not permitted to be angry with. Mm -hmm. And so and that really goes to by the way the work we do on respect and dignity because often what we this sort of universal thing of you respect your elders or people in positions of authority 
So you cannot be angry at them or you can't express mm. at them. And for some people, and of course, as you know, we're seeing the rage, uh, understandably, of protests around the country. Yeah. Rage, yes, absolutely. anger. You cannot, you just have, right? You just have to take all these, all these 450 years of just taking it is and or trying to you know trying to deal with it and then mm-hmm. come back on you even harder that um you know being angry is an okay thing and then being able to and then we all understanding like what we are permitted to do and what we're not permitted to do is really important to realize and then again realize if i'm not being treated with dignity with worth i have the right to be angry and i don't right. have to respect the person who's in a position of authority I don't have to respect the actions of someone who's in a position of authority who is not treating me or others with dignity. So you can separate the position, right, from the person. Mm-hmm. So in talking like a few minutes ago, I talked about how incredibly I ang- angry and sickened I was mm-hmm. at looking at President Trump travel the thousand feet from the White House to St. John's. And I'm from D.C., so it was very visual for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I can uphold and respect the position of the president without respecting those actions at all Mm -hmm. separate that and still uphold my respect for the position which i think is really important for people because i think we get really confused and we think if we speak out against the person who's acting disrespectfully that we are also taking away the respect of the position and that is not true it's actually the respect we have for the position that would make us feel so our, the feelings, we, the negative feelings we would have if the person in the position of power doesn't treat others with dignity. Mm. So it mm. all sort of wraps around itself. But I think we really got to separate these words of dignity and respect. And when we do, we're able to speak much more powerfully when we see injustice in front of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that applies to the way that you're seeing your government as well as the police or anybody else that you find to, you know, that is in charge. Um, and for our kids, if they feel that uh, if a teacher, a principal, <laughs> exactly. a parent, Coach. A coach, coach, yes, Mm -hmm. that they're in a position of authority, that 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 doesn't give them the right to treat the kids with disregard and just shove them off, that yes, the position holds some clout, but that doesn't mean that everything that comes out of that person's mouth is is to be validated and to be celebrated and well, in right. fact can be challenged. Exactly. I mean, I mean, that includes, I mean, think about like, you know, people of our, our religious leaders, um, our coaches, like some of those people are the most wonderful people in the world yes. who have literally repair the world. And um, a school resource officer, frankly, like police officers in schools where a lot like for Minneapolis and other places in the country, I'm actually I'm not unhappy to see them being challenged about their presence in schools Mm -hmm. Um, because unfortunately, you know, there are wonderful SROs in the world and then there are ones that are not so great and Mm -hmm. are dominating in schools. And they, and so we need to be able to, like the people that count in the school the most are young people. Mm-hmm. Their dignity has to be affirmed. It does not mean that they get to do whatever they want or be rude or anything like that. But what I have found over and over again, over and over again, is that if there are adults in positions of power and authority, the people they're supposed to respect, if those people treat young people with dignity, young people will meet adults more than halfway. 
even kids who, you know, who have been quote unquote disrespectful before that as soon as, cause they can feel it on us right away that when they, they feel that we are, that they are being treated with dignity, then they want to be in school. They want to be in relationship with adults, but they don't want to be in relationship with adults who are dominating and abusive. Mm-hmm. Who would mm-hmm. want to be? Who would? It's just such a powerful difference. And I think when we get there, um, what I think we're seeing, for example, around the country is young people demanding their dignity. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Absolutely. And I think that's probably what triggered people the most about so much of what's been going on lately is that they feel that people were not treated with dignity. Mm-hmm. And, and that has been, that's illuminated the many, many, many times that many people of, of all different groups are not being treated with dignity, especially mm-hmm. our black community. Mm-hmm. And that it just came to such a head when, mm-hmm. you know, we, we saw what happened with George Floyd and we just, it just broke right. the camel's back. Right. We just right. went, I mean, there was just, it was the opposite of dignity. It was, <laughs> it was as, as, as opposite of dignity as you could possibly right. get. And you just, yeah the world just I think stopped and said no and enough and that's not okay and we and many people were saying we didn't realize it was that bad and it it is that bad that's what well, I mean I think that's the message think we're getting. a lot of like I think I mean yes I think a lot of I mean honestly like people in positions of various privilege would say it wasn't that bad mm-hmm. but um certainly there were people who were saying it's that bad it's that yeah. bad and um and you know what's hard is when we don't it's hard to feel what you can't see yes and um and so that's and i think that's where we are mm-hmm. and i mean like so for example you know this is for me i i hope this is an example for your listeners that you know, you think that school resource officers are great because we're really scared of school shootings and school mm-hmm. shootings by vast, vast majority are white young men mm-hmm. and um, in the sur- suburb, suburban areas of our country. And yet where SROs are most like present is in our urban areas with mostly young people of color. Mm, interesting. Right. right. And so and those are not the kids who are bringing guns into school and shooting up kids. That's just mm-hmm. it's just facts. It's just like that's mm-hmm. just facts. There's no like you can't dispute that. It's just facts. Mm-hmm. And so what's I think really important. And again, I've worked with a lot of school resource officers and many of them are wonderful. They mm-hmm. really are. But there are way too many of them who look at young people as a problem and look at them as like, are you being disrespectful to me? Mm. And, and the young people every day when they go to school, having an adult who's in a conflicting relationship with them, who, by the way, the school resource officers today, this generate, you know, this the last couple of years are wearing full on armor, mm. wearing, you know, are have huge, have guns, have a lot of body armor and they're walking around school. That's mm. what they do. Mm-hmm. And so we can say, well, you know, there's all these school shooters going around, but honestly, we need to really think about what is the larger context in which, you know, and, and also what are, what are they doing in schools? Because the other part of this is in a lot of the public schools I work in, the school resource officers don't necessarily have to report or not under the jurisdiction of their supervision, excuse me, of the principal. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, as a parent, you might think, well, I want that school resource officer in my school because it makes my school safer. Really? I mean, mm. like, like, do we actually know that? 
And, mm. and I'm sure you can give me like, you know, their statistic, you know, they, you know, on school shooting and, and some of them really have changed lives. Mm-hmm. But we have to look at the larger thing because young people, especially young people of color and poor kids are often having experiences where somebody is demanding respect from them and adults are demanding respect from them in a school setting. If they're angry about, if a kid's angry about something or doesn't understand something, then the immediate reaction from the adults is the child's being defiant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not the way this needs to work and we right. just kids who are really angry really angry about it and have very good reason to be angry i need somebody to listen and right? i'm not painting like this broad brush of like all sros are terrible because i've sure. worked with a lot of ones that have saved that regularly save kids lives mm-hmm. um but i just want parents to understand maybe the larger context um in which this is really operating right right okay Thank you for explaining all of that. And, and it's, it is really valid and important to understand that larger context so that we wind up in a position where we're listening more and judging less, mm-hmm. um, which seems to be a, an overarching problem at this point. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Uh, give us your top tip. What do you want people to come away with after listening to all the things that you're saying about uh, dignity and uh, emotional granularity and anger and frustration, all the great things we've been talking about today. Well, I think, you know, the principle of dignity is where you start, that it's the inherent worth of every person. And um, in the tiny guide of dignity, we talk about what those things look like. You know, what does acknowledgement look like? Um, and being soft on, you know, on people and hard on ideas, for example, is a way to treat somebody with worth. Um, so to start with the principle of that is really important and everything flows from there. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then when you think about, you know, if I'm treating myself with dignity, then I'm going to really take a moment to realize like, what are my emotions? And that connects to emotional granularity and to recognize I'm in a really tough spot, whatever your tough spot is, right. That, you know, many of us are in tough spots in all different kinds of ways right now. And being able to acknowledge that and being able to define what those emotions are. And then because when we do that, then they have less power over us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can think more clearly. Mm-hmm. And then being able, for example, you know, and then that connects right to anger and to I have the right to be angry. And it's but the way in which I could I conduct myself is really what's really is important because I have this legacy of, of how and I can express myself. That's so important. And everybody else does, too. So, you know, recognizing that of like, I think one of the things to also think about is you don't have to know everybody else's story to know that they have a story, Mm -hmm. right? Of like why they're interacting the way that they are. And you don't need to know exactly why. You just need to know like, yeah, there's, you know, there's a reason. And if I knew that reason, I'd probably understand why this person's handling the situation the way they are. I would have Mm -hmm. a better understanding. It doesn't excuse behavior, just makes it more understandable. Right. And so if we connect those, the principle of dignity to understanding our emotional landscape and possibly the emotional landscape of other people, then it gets much easier to navigate really difficult, um, you know, situations and phases. Right. I think we're just we've been in this for a, a while so that it's going to be hard, but it, it seems a little it is it becomes more manageable when we have the tools to be able to navigate it well. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Understanding that dignity is the primary area that we need to focus on and that all of these other things come out of that is so important so that if we have a, a good sense of dignity and that we, tr- we teach our kids to focus in on that, treating each other with dignity and and understanding the difference between dignity and respect as you talked about then we understand that each person comes with a story as you as you're talking about they each have worth and that listening becomes so much more important than trying to convey what's on your mind because how are you going to get their story if you're yapping all right so give us the resource of the week where can we go to get more information about (laughs) you and your tiny guides and everything else sure well um the tiny guides you can find them on store.culturesofdignity.com And if you want more information, so that's just store.culturesofdignity.com. And then um, everything about Cultures of Dignity is just our website. It's culturesofdignity.com. And if you forget all of that, if you just Google Mean Girls, my name will come up. (laughs) Yes, and I will have all of your links anyway on the on the show notes. So anybody who's running, jogging, you know, listening in the on on their car phone or car phone, I'm like in 1990 again. Um, If they're listening, you know, in their car, please, you know, I've got everything in your in the show notes. And guess what? We're going to be doing a giveaway of the tiny guides, the whole bundle. We're very excited about this. So make sure you check. my Instagram under under Dr. Robin Silverman, as well as the Instagram for Cultures of Dignity, because we're going to be talking about it and we're going to be giving away a bundle. And they're so awesome. And there's so there's so many of them. And it gives us such a great resource to talk about these important concepts with our kids. And Rosalind, I just want to thank you so very much for joining us today. That was such an interesting conversation. So nuanced. I, I think that the things that you think about and that you can they uh, are really helping our, our world, or helping our parents, our educators, our youth. You have such a you have such a purpose in this world. I can feel it. Your your vision, your purpose. But I'm just so grateful to be able to talk to you about it and hear all the great things you have to say. Thank you, Robin. Thanks for having me on again. You know, I always you know I so support your work, and it's so it's wonderful to be able to work with you on these things. Oh, thank you. Okay. That means a lot to me. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours, so let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook, go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page. Let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm sure I'm going to be going back and forth with Cultures of Dignity on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. So please check in. I always create memes. And you know, Rosalind said so many great things. I want to slap them on a meme so that you can send them all over the place. Um, So my Instagram again, Dr. Robin Silverman. And again, we're also going to be doing that giveaway under Dr. Robin Silverman on Instagram and also in Cultures of Dignity for Instagram as well. I'll be creating all those memes. You can share them and putting information on that giveaway. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can learn about all the great things that Rosalind Wiseman is doing and Cultures of Dignity is doing and what they are doing to help young people and teachers, uh, principals, um, and parents, of course, to really spread that culture of dignity. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. 
educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please go to drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here, and you're getting the information you need. Now, understand that these are complex issues. And if you feel like you said something or you didn't say something that you wish you said or you wish you didn't say, please know that you can always try again. You can go back to your kid. You can go back to the neighbor. You can go back to your friend and say, I, I want to talk about this again. I feel like I want to do this differently or I want to understand this better. Or I want to listen more. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I get it. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.